Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hug the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Five listener questions. Accumulate them. They don't go together. <laughs> and none of them are long enough, I think, to be a whole episode. But as usual, if you hear something, you think, gee, I'd like you to go deeper into that. Or what do you really mean by that? Happy to do that. Again, I've got, I'm retired. So <laughs> I'm popping out an episode every day and never going to run out of topics, but always eager to hear your, your ideas. And whether it gets shorter treatment or longer treatment, I'm here to help the hobby grow. First question from Chris Gray. Graphs 101 about the Compsy hacks that did with Mike Summer. Basically, the biggest problem is he loves the service, but he doesn't love the fact that he can't get the card shipped back. Uh, by that time, Mike and I got to part three of our uh, three-part Compsy hacks. I think I made the comment that 90% of the complaints or criticism of Compsy is based on their shipping cards back slowness, but the volume is, is pretty amazing. And he's not the only one. Chris Graff's 101 is not the only one. They just They really enjoy Comc and they want Comc to thrive, but they also want Comc to come through for them. But there are tens of thousands of others people out there who have millions of cards there that make it a pretty difficult thing. So I think ComC is doing well. In fact, rather than them being in danger of, of not having enough business, I think they have too much business. But at any rate, again, I agree. Uh, best thing you can do is wait. Don't try to ship cards when shipping is so slow. If you can wait or keep them in the system, that's better. Okay, question two was a comment or question giving the impression that I support and approve every guest on my show that that uh, this particular person said one of the guests I had was not such a great guy. Uh, nobody's perfect, and I'm not going to be uh, judge and jury. When I have people on, I'm not endorsing them. I'm just having a conversation with them. Some I know really well and would fully trust and, and know quite well, and others I barely know or don't know at all, and I think they have something interesting to say, and you can take it with a grain of salt. So I'm not approving anybody. I'm just having a conversation with people that are interesting in this industry, and again, if somebody's completely a bad guy, I don't want to be promoting that, obviously, but I sure don't know that in advance. Number three, interesting question, is a failed prospect worse than a common player? That's really an intriguing question. In some of the Bowman brands, you've got people that I don't know that we're ever going to hear from, at least on the field or on the baseball or football or even basketball, except in some cases they went to college somewhere, they have friends and relatives, but if they never really played in the big leagues, are they worse than a common player? Maybe. They never played for a team. They were suited up for any team. Does that make them if they were just only in the minor league system? So again, there's minor league cards. The marketplace determines that. If somebody has some notoriety or following or gets famous or wants to buy up their own cards, that's different. But in the value thing, failed prospects and common players are reasonably synonymous. Um, but it, as I said, a common player, if somebody was sitting on the bench for the Mavs and not in the preseason games, they're a great basketball player, whether or not they're in the top five or the top 10 uh, on the team. And that's better than somebody that got drafted and never even uh, made the f number four. An interesting question from Mike Steveline that I bumped into at the National, enjoyed uh, seeing him, uh, very involved with the uh, Baseball Card Hall of Fame. He says, when you were still overseeing Beckett Publications, how did you and your team decide what sets were included in the Beckett Monthly magazines. 
And further, do you think the exclusion of certain sets, he specifically references the 88 and 89, 90 tops big baseball releases. Do you think that hurt the overall success of those non-mainstream type of sets? Mike, excellent question. You've answered it that yeah, I do believe it hurt the overall success, but that's because they were not mainstream type of sets. If there had been some huge groundswell of interest in those sets. We had different rules and we took it very seriously what was in the magazines. We had a certain amount of real estate. We couldn't list every set, but to do the sets justice and, and accuracy for what we did do, the 88 tops big, that was that was just an ancillary set. They had uh, smaller sets, bigger sets. When it was a different size, really got extra scrutiny for whether or not it would be included. And if in doubt, if it, Topps was already had its regular mainstream and then Bowman came along that, that next year, Topps was not being shortchanged, but it wasn't a Topps magazine. Topps actually had its own magazine. So yes, I do think it hurt the overall success and I felt bad about that. That doesn't mean we didn't list those cards in the almanacs and in the annual price guides, but in the magazine, which were for the most actively traded cards in the most actively traded sets. We just couldn't include them all. And we were lobbied, not so so much by Tops, but by many of these other companies. They would lobby us and try to convince us, but as much as possible, we'd try to let the public uh, decide. Finally, a question from Instagram that was pointing out some of the, the pictures that were posted where I'm tagged and I'm actually tagged on my nose. I have a precancerous thing on my nose. And so I had, I had a Band-Aid over it. And the phone cameras where they're doing these selfies, they don't miss a thing. So I'm looking, what, wait, what, how do I look different? I think, oh, yeah, that's right. I've got that thing that I'm getting taken care of. But it didn't feel so good. And it doesn't look so good. And uh, Diane, my awesome wife, said, what did people say about that? <laughs> Nobody said anything. They don't say, hey, what's that thing on your nose? Because it had a Band-Aid on it. And they uh, maybe they just assume the word. At any rate, some great picks. Other than that, another sports card insight. If you're taking a picture, and even when you're a little more than six feet, which I am, I look like a shrimp next to Jeremy Lee. So do not stand next to Jeremy Lee for a, a selfie or a picture, unless you want to look really small. And I'm not small. I'm six foot and maybe a half inch something. And then the other part of that question coming through the uh, the Instagram was, what do I do when I get home from the national? Do I just put the cards away in a corner and forget about them for a week and just kind of decompress? Or do I jump into it? Those who know me know I'm a lifer. This is my chosen hobby. I'm certainly excited to get back home to my wife, but I bring a bunch of cards. People say, what did, what did you get? When I get home, that's when I figure out what I got. Because when I'm going through these dollar boxes and things like that, I'm going so fast that they're not sorted. I'm just saying... It's, do I want it or not? And I throw it in the box and then when I get home, I'll break it down and I'm excited to break it down. So I don't think I could let it sit. In fact, that a bunch of cards, I'm still working on what I got at the National. It made me pull back in bidding on some things with Huggins and Scott that I, I thought I could win that. It was a bigger lot. And I thought, I just don't have time to process it. It's hard to process. If you get a big box of cards and they're all different sports and uh, all different players, like I say, low supply, low demand, uh, you've got to bring some order to it, and I'm eager to do that. Uh, now, I don't just do only that for a week. I, I do have a life, but I don't feel the need to take a break from a hobby that I love. And I don't know that I'm in the minor minority or the majority, but I, I'm a lifer. I love cards, 
and uh, all these cards I got, I put them in a box, I brought them back, and when I got back, and then I had some, as I said, delivered from me, and then I got those, and that was like a, a Christmas present. Then I opened, oh yeah, I got those too. And so opening up those, and again, they're not sorted. I can't tell you how messed up they are in the order. They're older ones, newer ones. Actually, there was a tiny bit of hockey, but mostly football and baseball, a little bit of basketball, a little bit of racing. I, I collect everything. So I was eager to uh, jump into it. So I absolutely do not decompress. I decompress by casually, relaxingly looking at cards and uh, sorting them by sport and then saying these are potentially going to go to grading. These could go to Com C. These could go to eBay. These could go to Rich. Just making little piles and just enjoying it. So do I call that decompression? I don't think so, but it's fun for me. I don't know what you do. If you've got the things that you do, let me know, because I think that'd be fun to talk to somebody that goes so hard. It went really hard for those five days, but then the next day when I'm home, I'm thinking, I need to go through that, but I'm not going to stay up all night to do it. I'm I'm going to do it in the context of it's a hobby. Thanks, everybody. All the people that, that uh, took nice photos and posted them. That was fun. I'm going to hit some more shows. Shows have been fun. Kyle's got another one coming up. It's a great time to be a sports uh, card collector. So thanks, everybody.